This is the Workplace Podcast with your host, William Corliss, brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation, your external learning and development partner. Each week, we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who are subject matter experts and are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Joining us today to discuss her book, Real-Time Leadership, co-authored with David Noble, is Carol Kaufman. Carol Kaufman is known internationally as a leader in the field of coaching. Marshall Goldsmith named her the number one leadership coach. Thinkers 50 ranked her amongst the top eight coaches in the world. Kaufman has over 40,000 hours of client contact and works with global CEOs and their teams. She's an assistant professor at the Harvard Medical School, a visiting professor at Henley Business School, University of Reading, UK, and serves as a senior leadership advisor at Egon Zender. Carol, welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to being here. So we're going to discuss your book, Real-Time Leadership, Find Your Winning Moves When the Stakes Are High. Now, beforehand, you took a screenshot of me with this book, which is laden with sticky notes, highlighter markers. It is such a good read. Um, What I really like about this book is your work as a coach really comes out, all the coaching questions. So if I was a leader looking at this, these are questions I can ask myself. Every chapter has summaries, different stories, different insights, so many practical uh, approaches to leadership, especially when, as you say, the stakes are high and the risks are high. And then not only that, have you so many practical tools, you have tables then to highlight the strengths and weaknesses for all the different approaches there. So if you are in a leadership position, this is a must read. So the book starts with this quote. Anyone can hold the helm when the sea is calm. Carol, why is leadership so difficult? Why are the stakes so high? Why is the risk so high? That that leadership, why is it so difficult? It seems easy from the outside. What I say often to my leaders, and they all crack up, is that um, the secret is that leadership sucks. Um, Why is that? It's because when you're a leader, it's something called... um, entity identity. You're no longer you as an individual. Um, So for me, for the Institute I founded ages ago, um, you know, I might be at a big event and I, Carol, am tired, right? But Carol, the entity identity needs to be there and needs to be a force for good with everyone who's there. And that's true when you're a leader. Um, If you have your own opinion, you're not necessarily allowed to share it. And then there's so many um, conflicting demands on you at the same time. You know, you're surrounded by, you know, your board wants one thing, your stakeholders another, your shareholders another, your people another. 
the um, social community another? And how how do you keep balancing all of that um, and creating, trying to create an environment and then not get full of yourself? And it is sometimes what happens to people that they they need to move beyond the reflex. This is the the work that you're 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 quoting here, and you quote Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. In the between every stimulus and response, there's a space, and he said, "In that space is the freedom to choose." So, in that freedom to choose, then leadership is is what you quote here is their optimal choices in leadership. And this is where you introduce us to the MOVE framework. What is the MOVE framework? Okay, well, what I really love is the the Viktor Frankl quote. To Mm. me, that's like the backbone of the book. And it's, again, it's between the stimulus and response. You have a sea of choices. So, okay, fine. We know that we need to make a space. Okay, that's not rocket science. Um, hard to do, easy to say, hard to do. But then what do you do in that space? How do you make all these choices? And that's what the whole book is about. How do you identify what you need to do, figure out how to do it, how to make sure you're seeing things clearly and how to affect change. And as you know, I just laid out the move model, which is M, to be mindfully alert, O, to be an options generator, V to validate your vantage point and E to engage and affect change. So what it is, is we have about, when we went through, we had like 120 frameworks and we had to like kill about half of them or more, but it's sort of a framework for you to remember all your frameworks. And that's what the the book is, is really good at. It interconnects all the different frameworks then. So like the map is not the territory is, is sometimes a, a leadership approach that I take. So mm. you give us a framework then, but within that, then you give us other tools then to navigate or you're looking at things through a different way. And this is when you bring us through the different dimensions to leadership. And you say this, uh, your work in, in the book is there's three inseparable dimensions of the external, internal and interpersonal. So, so talk mm-hmm. us through those. What are the different dimensions to leadership that our leaders may not be aware of or people listening in? Okay, thank you. So when we think about, you know, partly what we did is we kind of, we sort of combed through the leadership literature. David was um, an operating executive, a managing director of two strategy firms. He was the CEO of the world's first digital bank. So we looked through not just leadership literature, psychology and neuropsychology, but also business strategy and military strategy. And with that, we came up with the three dimensions of leadership, which is, okay, what what do you need to do? What do you need to accomplish? And we can go a little further into that later because it's not often obvious. And even just taking the moment to name it, like, what am I actually trying to accomplish? Will help ground you and make a tiny space for you to make a better choice. So what do I need to do? Then um, who do I need to be? So, okay, I need to do this. Um, what who, what kind of person do I want to be right now? How much do I want to pull on my values? How much have I invested in my own emotional regulation? So I can do the things that I think I need to. So that's the first dimension. Second dimension, who do I need to be? Third dimension is how do I need to relate? 
And here's where we fall prey to the golden rule, which is lovely, but it's a low bar, which is so I should treat you the way that I would want to be treated. Well, Mm. wrong. I should treat you the way you want to be treated. And that may be very different from how I would want to be treated. And I often give the example of, you know, um, someone's having a hard time and they're an introvert and they have an extrovert boss sees that they're having a hard time, swoops in with pep talks and reassurance. And the person is going, just go away. I just need space. Now, flip it the other way. You've got the extroverted person in trouble with an introverted boss. The extroverted person really wants that pep talk and assurance and a connection. And the introvert goes, well, at a time like this, I would just want to be left alone. So they leave the person alone. That's the golden rule. we got to go up to the platinum rule. And we know one-dimensional leaders, you know, people who are really good at, at achieving their goals, but they just sort of run over people and, you know, and have the insights of a gnat. Then there's others who are like really very caring and lovely, but they can hold people accountable. And then you have others who are like independent spiritual gurus even, but they can't punch their way out of a paper bag. So you really need all three, um, those three dimensions of leadership integrated to be able to um, be a good leader. And that's the thing about leadership is some people go, well, I'm in a position of authority no, you bend to my preferences rather than me, you know, accommodating you and your needs. Like some people might be listening and they're going to go on. That is exhausting to be adapting to other people's preferences. Some people might say, listen, well, you can't keep everybody happy. Mm-hmm. But you can work on yourself. And if it doesn't work, then OK, but at least you've done your bet. I mean, there's going to be some people who are cranky no matter what you do. I think that's the Abraham Lincoln quote. You can please some of the people some of the time, some of the people, blah, 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 but it ends with, but you can never please all the people all the time. But you can be able to look in the mirror and say, I did my best. You know, I I really tried to be the best that I could be. Um, so, so yeah, you can't make everybody happy, but you can at least feel like you were emotionally and socially intelligent as well as business intelligent. And that's that mindfully alert again, isn't it? Um, which I think is really powerful. Yeah. So part of being mindfully alert then and that uh, awareness then, you, you speak about the research about optimal performance. So it's not only willpower, it's a way power. So tell me more about the way power because you introduce us then to the four different stances that we can mm-hmm. assume in leadership, which I think it's a, it's a wonderful uh, insight. Thank you. Um, two dear friends of mine who unhappily have died, a uh, very, very well-known social psychologist, uh, Shane Lopez and Rick Snyder, they came up with something that they called way power. And that is that, you know, you can have willpower. So that's, I'm going to really, I can get things done. But if you just depend on willpower, you have one course of action and then you just blast towards it. Now, that does predict success to a certain degree. But if you have way power, which is, okay, here's my goal. And I have at least four different ways of getting there and ways of acting, being and operating. um, Then you really increase your chances of getting there. It also builds resilience and agility. 
And for people who know the um, the grow model of coaching, which is your goals, your options, um, help me out here. Moving forward, yeah, yeah. yeah thank you, thank you. Um, this is the grow model on steroids. So you take the O and you blow up the O, so it's really big, and then you map out the whole world inside the O, which is always at least four pathways forward. And those four stances then you talk about lean in, lean back, lean with, and don't lean. So yeah. we might we might break them down. So so talk us through that. What what does lean in? What would that look like in my leadership style? Is that like that I'm I'm commanding and I'm I'm really focused and applying pressure to that willpower? What what does that look like? Well it's sort of um I think of lean in as roll up your sleeves and mm. really engage. So I'll step back a minute to to show you where they came from. And when I'm done, I can walk you through a story. Um, They came from the four reflexes. Our four reflexes are fight, flight, freeze, and a new one they're doing research on called befriend. So these are the four reflexes. And we tend to kind of reflex respond. And, you know, each one of you can think about what do you normally do? You know, um, and I love the example of your, your, standing at the head of the table, giving a presentation and somebody important to you sneers and rolls their eyes. What do you do? Are you going to like, which mode are you going to operate in? If you have a sense of that, that's your default. Okay, so fine. So what we translate those to is these four stances. And um, one way I think of it is um, my husband loves tennis. So I'm forced to watch a lot of tennis and go to a lot of tennis tournaments, which would be great, but I sort of love it, but I don't like, I'm not crazy about it, but it's very helpful. Cause like if someone's there um, and, and someone's shooting to your forehand, you see that these, these good players plant their legs in a way they take a stance so they can get the forehand. And if it's going to go to their backhand, they have a stance and they can do the backhand or they can run up to the net, you know? Um, so it's like, what's the best stance for you to either respond or to go in? So then lean in. Uh, so lean in would be really just, just that, not being afraid of conflict. So think of it as the normal life variation of fight, but without the aggression. I can lean in with that edge, or I could lean in with positivity and enthusiasm. I could lean in like a rugby player, or I could lean in with the delicacy of a ballerina. So for each one of these stances, and in the book, um, we actually go through a decision tree on each one. Like, when do you need to lean in for uh, a numbers or external goal? How do you lean in for self-development? How do you lean in for interpersonal? And we we go through in, in detail how you figure it out and what you can do. But that's the lean in one. So then we have a lean back. Mm-hmm. Mm. you're leaning back yeah leaning back would be okay so the person sneers at you you go in and say you know so wait do people call you bill or william i see i don't know william is perfect yeah william is perfect okay okay bill no um well, my friends call me Willie if you really want to be sure, but nobody picks me up on that. I wonder why. <laughs> uh, okay. So 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 let, let's imagine you're the person who sneered. So if I was going to lean in, I'd go, William, like, what is up with you? You know, I'm giving a presentation here. Um, what's 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 up? 
you know, I may do it during the meeting. I may do it after the meeting, but I'll lean and engage with you. Yeah. So now I'm someone who tends to lean back. So I'm not going to want to engage in that conflict with you. Um, but I might, I might then think, well, wait a minute, William usually isn't like this. Um, and so I'll start putting the data together to have sort of a rational reason why you might have done that. Mm. Um, but it's sort of like in in general, if I'm facing a challenge, I'll I'll think I'll think about the context. Where does this fit in? Now we also have a whole section on what if you do it too much, right? Yeah. So you can lean in too much, you can lean back too much, and yeah. drown people in data or not take action as soon as you know others think you should. So that would be lean back. And then we have lean with. So lean with is um, people first, caring first. So for the sneerer, I might go, God, William must be having a bad day. Or did I do something to upset him? You know, I want to connect with him later and find out what's the story. Now at scale, it would be people first, culture first. Yeah, You're doing that. I mean, all these apply to interpersonal, but it also, you know, imagine it's a merger and acquisition. So it could be, okay, numbers, you know, then leaning back would be, have I done due diligence? So I have all my facts in a row, you know, what about people in integration? So all of these are work on a big scale or a small scale, but for um, lean with, it's like nurturing. And again, you, you need to sort of have a sense of, you can overuse that, you can underuse that. So how, how do you kind of um, be aware of people and what they need? And then, that brings us to don't lean. So this seems, and this is what you say is this is probably the hardest of them all. Totally, totally. So imagine you're, you know, I'm in that meeting and it's an important meeting to me and you do the sneer and the eye roll. Well, do I have the capacity to not be tricked by that? Like, so what? You know, like, I'm, I'm sorry that, that William doesn't like what I'm saying, but it's just like, it doesn't make me need to do anything. I can just you know, sort of here, like go with the flow, which I never thought of as part of don't lean, but it is. But it's that capacity to not be triggered and to enter into a reflective state. So leaning in, leaning back and leaning with are all when you're kind of producing ways of thinking, right? You're coming up with a plan. Don't lean means for you to be paused for a moment. And it can be seconds, literally, where you quiet yourself and then see what thought comes to you. So this is where your intuition can surface, your hunches can surface, or a, a novel thought can just pop into your mind. And um, you may know John Whitmore, Sir John Whitmore. He was a um, race car driver who um, started really coaching, leadership yeah. coaching. Um, and he decided randomly to become my coach. like for free. He would just call me once a month and check in with me. Um, and I remember he used to ask this annoying question, which frankly, I rolled my eyes at, which is the question, if you knew the answer, what would it be? And I mean, I heard that and I'm like, oh, good God, give me a break. And then one time we were talking and I was stumped by something and he asked me, and he goes, well, Carol, you know, if you knew the answer, what would it be? And darn it, something just like open in my brain. And I knew. So there's something about this stance when you can do it for yourself or do it for others, that things that you don't realize you already know can surface. And that's an incredible resource for all of us. 
And it seems to be as coaches that don't lean as sometimes a bit what happened with John Whitmore, Sir John Whitmore, is it's it's about holding that space, isn't it? It's it's yeah. their strength to not to not move into anything. It's just just be. Okay, I'm gonna write that one down too. So guys, you you listen to what I'm here. Hold the space. So it's not that you're doing nothing. It's you're doing a lot of nothing. <laughs> it's it's hard work, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And especially when you have competing interests um, in the room, then sometimes as a facilitator, that's the hard work, isn't it? How do you how do you hold that space for a conversation to have or for people to be reflective or isn't there? Yeah. Oh, let me give you a great example that um Here's, here's how I judge my experience on a podcast, by the way, and you're winning by a mile here, which is, I think, new thoughts, right? Which is exactly what we're talking about. How do you create an environment where new thoughts can happen? So one just happened for me, probably one of the best examples of, of not leaning, which I've done, I've used forever in, in what you were saying about different constituencies in a room. So Nick was the head of a group. Uh, it's now called Core Leadership, but it was Authentic Leadership. And we worked with Unilever for about six years. We went through about three or 400 of their leaders with this Authentic Leadership program. So there we are. This is one of our big programs. It's two minutes to 12. Okay. And this program runs like clockwork. You do not go 30 seconds over. Um, okay. So fine. So it's two minutes of and all hell breaks loose because someone says, so listen, this authentic leadership stuff, this is great. This is fine. We're doing it. I don't see our bosses doing it. I don't see the board doing it. I don't see everybody else doing. So what do you have to say about that? And Nick Craig, so I'm like, OMG, what do you do? And so he does this brilliant, not lean response. He goes, well, of course. He goes, and this, this is true in all organizations. And, you know, this is just a tension we all need to live with. And now it's time for lunch. Just didn't, was able to not respond, but also hold the room and, and in this case, share a truth. What a wonderful way to not be incendiary by responding to it. Isn't that what happens at the workplace? A lot of the times that we're adding fuel to the fire where we just go, if we don't give it air, it can't breathe. Mm-hmm. No, not all the times, you know, but it, it, but that's it. And this is what we say about the different stances then is that's, and this is what you have, those lovely tables. There's, there, there's overuses and underuses and when mm-hmm. to use and when not to use. And I think this is, this is the, when we talked about optimal leadership, leadership is a choice then. Mm-hmm. Exactly so, right. Exactly right. So my next question then is, there's going to be people listening in here and they're like what do I think my default stances are what does the research show I'm pretty sure most people because they go from operations to you know a leadership position they're so used to being task focused Mm -hmm. that they, they probably have a preference for lean in because now I'm showing that I'm adding value by rolling up the sleeves where strategically is actually the best is that the best thing to do Exactly right. Exactly right. And for a lot of the people who lean in, so one thing about coaching is some people like to coach people who are really open to coaching. I tend to like the skeptics. Um, and 
the the book, we didn't think about it in advance, but if anybody listening who, who if you hear about coaching and your eyes roll a little bit, this is the book for you. Because we're not making a case for coaching at all. We're just telling you what happens. And then you can decide for yourself what you what you like or what you don't like. Um, okay, I got carried away, forgot the question. Oh yeah, do, lean in, right. Um, for that group, um, particularly like, you know, engineers, PE, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then you just go with the data because, you know, it's not our job to convince you to do the three dimensions of leadership. It's our job to introduce you to the concept and see if it sings for you. But then the data, I mean, the data is just really clear. If you create an environment of psychological safety, where people are free to speak up without fearing retribution, and you are able to meet the kind of basic um, autonomy and relationship needs of your people, your performance is going to go up. So if you really care about the numbers, you are going to care about these other things, and the data will show you that. What we mean by that, it's evidence-based research. This is data points that say we look for this evidence, and it's proven by when we we've done a research massive massive research is yeah it's not it's not just a little bit of research and actually the end of your book is brilliant resource for all the the, the pieces of research and i'm going to be continually asking about these various different research throughout the podcast i want to move on to the vantage point so the vantage point seems to me that it's like some people call it the helicopter view or the balcony view, what else is going on, but there's different vantage points then as well throughout your leadership journey. So can you talk us through mm -hmm. what is a vantage point? Okay. Um, and also whose vantage point? You not only have to take your own vantage point into account, you have to take other people's vantage point into account on what they see as well as their vantage point on you. So the helicopter, do you want to be like a hawk or a hummingbird? I think of it. That is just one of the four aspects of vantage point. So the, the first is, so I think if you're great at vantage point, you'd be good at four things. Um, and that's separate from the second part of what our chapter is on, which is what can distort your view. Yeah. But an ideal view is, I'll say them and then go over, is that you're clear you're looking at things with the right resolution, you're looking at things with the right breadth or the right altitude or depth, which is the hawk and the helicopter versus the hummingbird and close up. Um, so clear. So now what you can do is think of this as the leader for your own vision, but when you're also trying to unpack what's going on with your team or where your team might be off or strong, is okay, is their vantage point clear? So what does that mean? First of all, I think the metaphor of glasses, um, are you wearing rose-colored glasses or charcoal-colored glasses? What do you do? So over-optimism, for example, is responsible for 75% of small business failure, okay? That's like, you better not be wearing rose-colored glasses when you're about to make decisions. Like, oh, sure, we can do that. We can market this. We can do that. But hey, guess what? You may not be able to follow that up. So as a leader, if you um, have a big, broad, expansive view and you have a CFO who's saying, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Listen to the CFO or you will drive into a brick wall. So are you clear in terms of the color of your glasses? Your, you know, do you minimize threats? Do you minimize opportunities? Okay, that's one. 
The other part of being clear is you and I both wear glasses. So it's like farsighted or nearsighted. Do I tend to see things better at a distance and then what's close to me is blurry or the reverse? So you may be great, for example, at strategy, the distance, but not close up, which is tactics. Or you may be at the top of an organization and when you can see the future and the market and the opportunities and the disruptions, but people are like little teeny teeny ants way down there from your, you know, the hundredth floor. So it's like being aware of what you can see clearly, what you can't see clearly, and seeing clearly is, a, is often a, a group phenomenon. Okay, so that's clear. Now, resolution. Um, how high definition or grainy do you need to be? And not everything needs to be high def. So you have to figure out when you're looking at the map of everything in front of you, where do I need to kind of really see more, collect more data, focus, laser focus? Or where's like a quick touch point and a scan? Um, okay. And so some people do high definition everywhere and get lost in the details. Others are sort of more glowy and brushstroke and they miss out on, you know, so it's like, just knowing which, if you're going to be great, what are you going to be great at? If you're going to make a mistake, will you make a mistake? So that's clear and the resolution. The next one is the breadth. So imagine there's this horizon in front of you. So if you're in marketing, you want to have a broad horizon because if you can look really wide, there can be two things out in your peripheral vision that you can see at the same time and you go, oh, that's what we need to do. Jurassic Park, right? Um, yeah. you, you, you know, dinosaurs, adventure, put them together, you know, and and lots of new products are developed that way, and you need that broad vision. But hello, if you're doing, you know, planning, budget, etc., you need to know. Okay, my focus needs to be narrow now and not expansive, um, and to sort of figure out, given what your struggle and challenges in the moment. Um, you know, and then, for example, I had one guy, um, super, super person, super amazing person. He literally got a subway stop in New York changed so people could go to his arena. I mean, brilliant, brilliant guy. And what he would do is he would look behind him and he would scan the horizon. Like, is there any other company that is not just breathing down our necks? Is it a speck on the horizon? And as soon as it was a speck on the horizon, he would completely change the business model of the company. I mean, it was amazing. And of course, he's, he's, it's sort of related to uh, real estate and he has the highest per square foot. Um, and he's someone who also is extremely attuned to who he is and very respectful of others. And, you know, he has his, his flaws because he's a super lean inner as we all have ours, but a lot of breadth. The depth and altitude, I think people know already. That's like you zoom in or zoom out. Do you get up on the helicopter, yeah. the balcony, or walk around with people? So those are sort of the four aspects of if you're going to really think about what's the ideal vantage point per situation. Those are the four areas I'd look at. And to quote your work, seeing the world from others' point of view as well as your own, I think – from an engagement point of view, that's a really important part, isn't it? Totally. So I'm going to tell you my gorilla story that that sums it up a little bit. So I kid that um, I learned everything I needed to about leadership when I was seven. And my girlfriend, her name was Robin Camphausen, told me a joke. And she was like, okay, a thousand pound gorilla uh, goes into a crowded bar 
where does it sit? Anywhere it wants, I would suggest. <laughs> yes, anywhere it wants. Now, as a leader, now this goes back to your very first question, which is why is being a leader so hard? Um, and why does leadership suck in, in many, many ways? It's because if you have an influence or control over someone's resources, um, money, access to projects, um, and, and anything, because there's many currencies, um, then you're the gorilla to someone else. And you are never not the gorilla. And you can't ever forget that. So from your vantage point, you know, you think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm William, I'm just William, and this is what I think, and this is what I'm going to do. But if you're a thousand pound gorilla, and let's say you swoop your arms open wide, bodies go flying. And so you have to be able to see that I know who I am. And this is related to entity identity also. It's like, I know who I am, but that's not who I am to other people. Yeah. You know, so their vantage point to me. And then the other thing, back to um, great leadership um, and creating psychological safety is creating psychological safety is your best bet against narrow vantage points. Because then if you have a thousand people in your company and they feel safe enough to speak up, then you have 2000 eyes yeah. looking at them. And are those people able to see something you cannot possibly see? And then when they do, can you hear them and can you take in their vantage point? And that was something else that I recall. I don't have this in my notes right now. It's it's actually sometimes your vantage point is the people around you that are actually feeding you communication. How are they giving you where are you getting your information from? You know, are you mm -hmm. getting your information from the right sources? Can you trust that? You know, can you tell me a little bit more about those vantage points? Oh yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good nuance. I'm thinking of a CEO I work with of a really big company. And um, when we do 360s, he has me spread the net really wide. Like not just his group, but someone who's a skip down, skip down, skip down. Yeah. Um, and to try to sort of get a sense. And sometimes they say, I hear things like, you know, he's just listening to his close knit group of people, but they have yeah. their own, they have their own agenda. Um so yes, it's very important. And I have another CEO who is really amazing. She's like the glue of the organization. And she does the thing of wandering around and just listening to people and asking lots of people, hey, what are you hearing? And, and sort of that's really the, that goes back to the vantage point really of, of breadth. Like yeah. really how wide do, why do you look? Because on my, on my website, I think it's still there. Um, there's, I, I think a really powerful thing is when you're powerful, people don't tell you the truth. Mm. And part of my job as a coach is to tell someone the truth and to do so in a way, in, in my case, to so they're cracking up laughing while they're groaning. Um, but there's lots of ways to tell people the truth that, that work with your personality. For me, it's often in a wisecrack. Um, but it's it's really so for you guys listening who are gorillas, whether you believe you're a gorilla or not, you may know the truth, which is that you're a chimp in a very large gorilla suit, but it doesn't matter. People see you as the gorilla and you know the truth as you should. You know, you should not believe that you're really all powerful. You should know there's a gap and then you need to tolerate that gap of people seeing you as more powerful than you than you are. Um but how to then really go for kindness 
you know, really try to be kind to others. And then, then you'll be able to hear what people have to say. So speaking of, of hearing what people have to say, you have tweaked a framework by your friend, Dick Swartz. So this is the five oh, yeah. C's, which is calm, oh, yeah. clear, cu- curious, compassionate, courageous. I love yes. that framework. Tell me more. Okay. Me too. Um, so Dick Schwartz, um, I worked with Dick for, for a few years. He is He started something called the Internal Family Systems Model. And there's a book by that name. And Introduction to the Family, Internal Family Systems Model is, is the book to read. He's written a lot of others, but they'll, they'll, they're, they're really just for therapists. Um, this one is good for leaders and coaches. And, and basically, he talks about how do we access our best self and our core self? And that's okay, but if I'm ac- how do we know I'm accessing my best self? Like, yeah. what do I look for? And he then talks about, he has eight seats, that's too many. I made it five. And so it's like, you're being your best self if you're able to be calm, clear, curious, compassionate, and courageous. And here's um, two ways to think about that. One is it's sort of, I think of it as the accelerant, like that can be the way to make the space. Now, the other things are all what you do when you've made that space, but this is a great way to make the space. So David has one way of doing it which is, you know, calm, clear. That could sound like really sort of soft and doopy to people. And, you know, that'll make some, some, um, some leaders will make them want to projectile vomit or stab themselves with a syringe of insulin. Um, but it might be, it's like, okay, William, you're about to, you're CEO and you're about to go into a team meeting and you know, it's going to, there's a tough issue. So it would be like, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how calm are you? So you might say 10, Carol, I'm always calm. And say, okay, well, how how clear are you? And you go, 10, I'm always clear. And I'm telling an actual story of one of David's clients. Then how curious are you? I'm I'm always curious. And then, well, how compassionate are you? Well, I'm a little low on that. So now we've taken something that's sort of gushy, right? Or can sound gushy. But remember, we're talking about peak performance here. You know, so like when you're about to get on the world-class stage, you know, either as an athlete or as a leader, you better be able to be good at those things. This is like not just, you know, breathy, meditative stuff. So this guy then walked into a meeting and his CFO was taking a leave of absence because his father was dying. And he announced this. And to everybody's shock and horror, this is a private equity world. You know, they're not a soft, like touchy-feely bunch. That guy starts crying. So you see like absolute terror on everybody's face. And then this guy had just been like, oh yeah, I'm low on compassion. And so he gets up, um, goes down, sits next to the CFO, puts his arm, uh, hand on his shoulder and says, we've got your back. Now, first of all, it stunned everyone, but it started changing the culture of the organization and how people saw this CEO. So that's one thing you can do. So the, the five seeds, you can do the scale of one to 10, Where are you on that scale? What are you doing right? Where do you need to grow? Okay, that's option one. Pathway two, this is where uh, real-time leadership journaling can be helpful. So I recently had a situation with a partner of mine, business partner, um, where I was about to have like a really, 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 really tough conversation, which I dreaded. Um, And I was partly at fault. And what happened was I was unhappy with her in one area and had written a friend who had then written me back 
um, a close colleague, and, and in capital letters, it said, I have found you a replacement for your partner, not knowing she had just BCC'd that partner. That partner then sends me, if you, if you, you know, are a Harry Potter fan, howlers, you know, I mean, I just got texts that were sneaky. I was this, I was a, you know, and like, wait, do I need to find a new job tomorrow? Like, really, I, it was, it was not pretty, but also I was not the innocent party here, completely innocent. That's, that's important because like, you know, your good thinking can go out the window and you're feeling guilty or bad. So I was so distressed. I then started, I got out my notepad and started writing. Okay, what do I do? And I went through the five C's. So first it's like, okay, come, how can I help myself become, you know, downshift, breathe? How can I be aware of what's going to trigger me off of calm? And how can I think about that in advance and help myself? So that was calm. Because if I'm calm, I'm then much more likely to be clear. But okay, so clear, what, what, what was going to knock me off clear? And sometimes if someone's like yelling or venting, I know I have a point, but I have no idea what it is. Like my mind, my mind blanks. And so I just thought, well, I'll just write down my four major points so that they can't fall out of my head and I can stay clear. Fine. Curious. I know I'm going to get a lot of venting. Um, this person is furious at me. So how can I be curious? So I decided what that meant for me is at the end of event, I would just ask another question. You know, not defend, not whatever, but be curious. And then for compassionate, it's like, let's walk over the bridge to where where she was, see the world completely from her vantage point and understand it, see, understand her view of me, my view of her, and then walk back over the bridge backwards and see how far does she come with me. And that's through compassion. And then courageous, which is I'm not going to lose my voice. I'm hello. I'm allowed to find another business partner. It's my business. Um, and, and keep my voice, but those five, then the last part, I only got to one of the three dimensions of leadership, um, which was the first one. Cause it's like, wait a minute, what do I want to accomplish? You know, what I want to accomplish is to restore a constructive relationship with this person, still challenge them with what they weren't doing, which was costing me a significant amount of stress and money, um, but to have a good partnership at the end, but then really important. And I'm wondering how many of you who have uh, been in this situation, if you were really truthful, what did I really want to accomplish? I wanted to put her nose in the peepee. I wanted her to feel bad. I wanted her to know what she had put me through, the stress, the this and that. Okay, this is so totally not not my first dimension. And But it really helped to see that and to say, okay, I am not going to let anything leak. You know how you could let just like one little teeny kind of like, you know, well, if only you, and it just destroys everything because that's all they heard. So it was really helpful. And what happened was stunning, which is a little embarrassed because you wouldn't think I'd be stunned by my, the effectiveness of my own model. A little embarrassing. Um, but I I was stunned. Though made me a fan of the book. It was the first time I got to really be the recipient of real-time coaching for myself. So she gets on the, the Zoom and she looks like a wild woman and she's yelling, you know, and like, da, 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 you know, like waves of, of venting, looking, you know, wild. Yeah. And um, but then she did something. I credit her with a big pivot. And she was like, we should just stop this conversation right now. We shouldn't even be having this conversation. But all I am is mad and I want to defend myself against what you've been saying. And that was great because what I then said is, wait a minute. And this is a lean 
combination lean with lean back moment. So I just said, wait a minute, let's take the word defensive and then let's just put that to the side. You're not being defensive. You're just telling me your experience. So tell me more what's been going on. What, what has this been like for you? And that began to pivot because she then started communicating. And then together we came up with the idea that in, in fact, she was not good at this one very important aspect of the job. And I said, well, I need a blank. And so go find one, hire them and have them work for you. You know, and then and then I just watched her transform into the kind of brilliant um, person that she really was. But it was because I was able to make space and have choices that something that really could have been relationship ending. And by the way, she did. And I said, and I said, so I need to find my go. And by the end of the week, I need yeah. someone by the end of the week. And she found someone, this person's great. My stress level went down probably 40%. Um, wouldn't have if I hadn't followed my own advice. And that's that clarity piece, isn't it? And this is what's really good about the book is when you're interconnecting the lean in, the stances, the five C's, you do all this in the book. Along mm. with this one is the Harvard Business School Framework be no do. So it seems like yeah. you're practicing this. So tell me that model. What does that look like? Be no do. Yeah, it's it's I think it's no do be, by the way, but I'm not oh, sure. Doesn't, doesn't matter. I'm not sure myself. But it's, you know, leadership is again about what you know. Okay. That's sort of the first dimension of leadership, right? Actually, no and do are sort of like, okay, what is it that I need to to know in order to make good choices, but that might be lean back. What is the, all the information I need to know? What do I need to do? And then they really introduce the, who, who, the being, which is leadership is what you emanate. And there's like shocking research about this. I mean, the research is like, it's just spooky about how, um, so if I'm, if I'm talking to you and I think you and I just did this without thinking, we can immediately in, Intuit, it's more than intuit though. Um, <clears throat> it's the midbrain, it's the amygdala and hippocampus, hippocampus in your brain, where you're aware is someone relating to me as predator, prey, or pack. So as you and I started talking, it was immediately we were pack mates. You know, you were interested, dot dot dot. But we pick that up. Um, and I believe it's 30 milliseconds where it takes a thousand milliseconds for our cognitive process to catch up. So now when you need to be aware that you're not always right, but you know that like, I got a bad feeling about this kind of thing, that's instant and that's what you emanate. So you need to be really careful as a leader, what energy you emanate. So that goes back to who do I wanna be right now? Who do I need to be right now to keep your energy in the right place? Because without saying a word, people are gonna, have that sense if you're walking down the hall looking at them as a predator or if you're walking down the hall and you're feeling like prey or you're walking down the hall and you're feeling like a pack mate and it's going to really elicit different things without your saying a word. And that that is the Carol Kaufman question to leadership, isn't it? Who do I need to be right now so when in times of challenge it seems that you can embrace the right mindset or stance for a difficult situation is yeah, that's yeah, it, that's the question. 
Yeah, that's a question Marshall, Marshall Goldsmith did flap backflips over. Um, he actually wrote articles about it. It's very sweet. He calls it the Carol Hoffman question. And what happened was it was um, January some year. I don't even remember when now, 2018 maybe. And you know, it's like New Year's resolution time. You know, it's like, what am I going to do this? Okay, yet again, I'm going to lose a little weight. And I'm going to work out more, you know, blah, 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 be more organized. And then I'm like, Ugh. And, and then I thought, well, wait a minute. It's really, who do I want to be? But then it became, who do I want to be right now? Right now. Mm. So I'll tell you how this actually surfaced. This is quite embarrassing. Like what a white woman's first world problem. But it's the truth. So I will embarrass myself and, and tell it to you. We appreciate that. I should know better, but I, apparently I don't. I'm going on vacation. Okay. So we're going like to the, to the Alps um, with, this, with this couple. And they've shown me pictures of where we're going to stay. And it's really like, you know, sort of two star with a teeny little window that if you looked out at the right angle, you could kind of see the Alps. And the big important thing to me on vacation is a view, right? So like a hundred feet behind this is one of these beautiful crescent shaped hotels with this magnificent view, but they wanted to do it together. We were going to stay in the same condo complex. So, you know, fine. So we, so we get there. And the woman also has this, this habit of getting lost. So there we are, cobblestone streets, all our ski equipment, and we head up and it's a fork in the road. I know she's going to get us lost. And so she goes, no, no, I'm sure it's this way. And so we go this way. It's a dead end, cobblestone, blah, blah, blah. And so just as I'm about to do the, uh, who do I want to be right now? Who do I want to be right now? She has led us astray, as I knew she would. We're tired, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And then there was a couple more wrong turns. And it really helped me. Like, who do I want to be right now? It actually changed my, my stance inside. So then we get to the, the place with a little postage stamp window. And I'm thinking, where's their place? Because we're there because we wanted to stay. And she goes, oh, we're staying on the other side of town. Oh, I said, who do you want to be right now? Who do I want to be right now? And, and it really helps with, you know, your, you know, crankiness. But now it's like, okay, it's the end of a day. Somebody who works for you comes in. They've got a subpar job yet again. And you want, who do you want to be right then? Who do you want to be? And like just pop back. And then you can say, okay, so what I actually need to do right now? What is my outcome variable? Is it to just say, hey, listen. This is a bad job yet again. Or is the job to say, hey, listen, I think we have you overstretched. Yeah. So that you can then choose among your different dimensions of leadership. You can then choose your stance. You can check out your vantage point. You can be clear in your communication and engage. So for me, that's the question. That, that's the split second question that can really change the course of, of what I do. And for other people, that may be the question that does it for them. A different question may be the one that does it for them. You know, so as you go through the book, which is the one that will be the micro behavior or the quick question you can ask yourself? You know, for someone, it might be, I need to be calm. You know, for someone else, I need to step into courage. I need to step into courage. So there'll be one particular thing that will align with where you most need to grow. So I have promised you and our listeners that we might leave this on a cliffhanger. And my question to you, Carol Kaufman, is will you be returning to the Workplace Podcast? 
I would love to come back, William. It would be a real pleasure. And I'll tell you why. One is I like the fact that you did so much like, like I will invest in you because you invested in me. I really saw that that book and also by the questions, like you really absorbed the material. So that's number one. Number two is you emanated a good energy. Number three is you did so to the extent that I had new ideas during this podcast that, that I hadn't had about my own work. So I got something out of this. So yes, I will come back. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Now, if our listeners were to find more about you, more about your book, and I know that is launching uh, soon in Europe and, and the UK, how might they find more about you and your book and David's book? Probably, probably the easiest thing is um, whatever is your favorite search engine, whether it's Google or whatever, to, to go buy the book, just Google real-time leadership, you know, and you'll find ways to buy the book. And if you want to find me, you just remember my name, Carol Kaufman, two Fs, one N. Um, Google Carol Kaufman and you'll find me. And you can write me at ck at carolkaufman.com, two Fs, one N. Um, or you won't hear back from me uh, because I won't get it. So I'd say I'd say that. And then we do have a book website, um, and that is um, Real Time Leadership is the name of a book from Australia. So we we couldn't take the URLs, but we are an institute as well, and we'll be coming out with a workbook. So for that is, I'm not I'm going to say, it, but don't worry, this isn't the URL. It would be Real Time Leadership Hi, too long. So RTL, real-time leadership, but just rtlinstitute.com. So those are all different ways. And you can find David Noble in his bio, my bio, some videos. And then on my website, I'm going to be putting more and more uh, real-time leadership stuff and podcasts. And we may even find your podcast on my website. That would be so impressive. Carol, mm -hmm. you have been so impressive. Thank you so much for joining the Workplace Podcast today. Thank you. I had fun. And now we're done for now. Exactly. Thanks for listening to the Workplace Podcast with your host, William Corliss. Our special thanks to this episode's guest for sharing their expertise with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please download and share it. For updates on future episodes and to get in contact with us about any workplace topics, please follow Yellowwood on LinkedIn and Twitter at Different Paths. As always, you can head over to yellowwood.ie for any other information. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner, provider of executive coaching, facilitation and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team and organisation.